Hello and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Good to have you with us tonight. We are in 2 Kings, the 13th chapter. We've just finished reading about the life of King Joash, who was a fairly righteous king. And, uh, and then Joash dies. And then chapter 13, in the 23rd year of Joash, uh, 23rd year of Joash, son of Ahaziah, king of Judah, Jehoahaz, son of Jehu, became king in Israel in Samaria. Now, what, what they're constantly doing here is they'll tell the one guy's life, and then they'll back up and say, well, when that king was this old, this is when the other king. Remember, we've got two kingdoms going, Israel and Judah. Israel in the north, Judah in the south. So now they went from Joash, and they're starting to talk now about Jehoahaz. And verse 2, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord by following the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which had... He had caused Israel to commit, and he did not turn away from them. Verse 3, so the Lord's anger burned against Israel, and for a long time he kept them under the power of Haziel, king of Aram, and Ben-Hadad, his son. Remember Haziel? This is the guy that Elisha looked at, and he started weeping when he looked at him. And Haziel says, why are you crying? He says, because I see what horrible uh, violence you're going to bring to Israel. And, uh, but, uh, and we talked about that. You know, why would God let this go? Because it was God's hand of judgment against Israel for their sins. And even though um, Elisha could have, you know, stopped him on the spot, he knew he, he wasn't supposed to uh, because of Israel's sins. Um, and so anyway, this is Haziel and then uh, his son Ben-Hadad. And this goes on for a long time. We'll keep seeing about how uh, these guys were constantly used by God to bring judgment on Israel because of their sins. Anyway. So then it says, uh, Then Jehoahaz sought the Lord's favor, and the Lord listened to him, for he saw how severely the king of Aram, this Haziel, uh, was oppressing Israel. And the Lord provided a deliverer for Israel. It doesn't say who it was, what happened. But, uh, um, you know, we see this pattern over and over again. These guys would commit sin. God would bring judgment on them. They'd cry out to God. God would say, Okay, and bring a deliverer. And then as soon as they got going again, they forget about God. All right, we've talked about this, this, this tendency to forget about God. So the Lord provided this deliverer, and they escaped from the power of Aram. So the Israelites lived in their own homes as they had before. But, verse 6, but, 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 these people would not stop. They did not turn away from the sins of the house of Jeroboam, which he had caused Israel to commit, and they continued in them. Also, the Asherah pole remained standing in Samaria, um, what they're talking about is they had these, uh, uh, the temples of Baal, they'd had these Asherah poles, they'd have these high places where they would offer these sacrifices, uh, sometimes human sacrifices. They were very violent. It was a very disgusting, uh, you know, evil uh, religion based on idolatry, basically what we would refer to as uh, Satan worship, uh, the worship of Baal. In fact, you'll know or notice in the New Testament that they refer to Satan as Baal-zebub. It's a name for Satan. So Baal worship was, in essence, satanic worship. These people were very, very, it was very dark, very wicked, very nasty. Uh, so uh, anyway, it goes on verse 7 and 8 and talks about Jehoahaz, and he dies. And, and then they talk about Jehoash, king of Israel, in verse 10. In the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, which we finished reading about Joash, but this is the timeline, um, 37th year of King Joash, then jo 
Jehoash, son of Jehoahaz, became king of Israel in Samaria. <laughs> and he reigned 16 years. Now, so Jehoahaz, son Jehoash, becomes king, and he does evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Uh, this Jeroboam set up this whole thing and got everybody into all this Baal worship and stuff, and they just kept repeating it over and over again, which he had caused Israel to commit, and he continued in them. Verse 12, as for all the other events of the reign of Jehoash, blah, 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 and then he dies, and uh, although they're not done talking about him, they keep doing this. They talk about the king, they'll say a little bit about him, and then they'll say, if you want to know about, more about him, read about it in the annals of the kings of Israel, and they'd, they'd move on. So they insert this here, but we're not done with Jehoash. We pick it up at verse 14. Now, Elisha was suffering from the illness from which he died. Um... You know, I read that, and uh, uh, it kind of hit me. I thought, you know, it's amazing that uh, here is a guy who has done incredible miracles. Um, Elisha gave him, because Elisha asked for a double portion, gave him a double portion of his anointing onto Elisha. Elisha, in terms of miracles and recorded miracles, at least that we have to measure from, uh, did greater things than Elijah. And Elijah is like the Yo Mama prophet. But this Elisha was something else. Uh, he had uh, turned the very forces of nature on its head. Uh, remember the one guy who lost an, um, an, an axe head in the water, and Elisha throws something in the water, and the axe head starts to float? I mean, complete freak of nature. So the guy can get his axe back. Uh, he's the guy who raised uh, the, the, the ladies. Uh, son from the dead. I mean, he's the one who spoke and, and brought healing and all these other kind of miracles in people's lives. It's, it's amazing. But now he's suffering from the illness of which he's going to die. Uh, the reason this stuck out to me, I thought, wow, isn't it amazing? Even in the midst of great miracles, um, these people would often uh, face things that they had spoken to other people's lives and had victory over. Very, very interesting. You know, here he had spoken great miracles, and now he's sick. I could see just dying, but to be sick, and you have this sickness, and you're dying. And here's a guy who'd seen great miracles. You would think he'd just, God, why don't you heal me? Why am I sick? Why am I having sickness? But, you know, God is God, and why some things happen the way they happen, I don't know. I mean, even in the New Testament, these guys had miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, but then you'd read about how, you know, some big guy would get sick and die. And it would be easy to get angry. And Why, God? Why would you let him die? Why would you heal all these other people but not heal this guy? And then maybe an apostle would come along and raise him from the dead or something, but sometimes they, they didn't. Uh, Paul writing to, to Timothy said, look, I know you're, you're sick a lot. Uh, start drinking some wine, he said. This will help settle your stomach. Really? This guy's got intestinal problems. I mean, they are raising the dead. They're healing the sick. They're doing miracles, and they're performing miracles here, here, and here, and here, and here. But yet, the guy has intestinal problems. And the best Paul could come up with is drink some wine. It'll help settle your stomach. Why didn't Paul pray for him? He probably did. Why didn't God heal? I don't know. This is the eternal question. You know, why do we have some miracles for some people and not for others. We don't know. All we know is we need to stand in faith. We need to trust God. Uh, Paul was having difficulty one time. 
He said, I have this thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was. He doesn't say what it was. There's all kinds of speculation as to what it was. All we know is it made him miserable. Some people say it was a spiritual thing. Well, if it was a spiritual thing, wouldn't you think he'd call it a thorn in the spirit? He said it was a thorn in the flesh. There was something physically wrong with the guy. And he prayed once, and he prayed again, and he prayed a third time. He probably would have kept on praying, but then he says God spoke to him and said, chill out, my grace is enough for you. In other words, the Lord was basically saying, whatever this was, we don't know what it was. I don't know what it was, you don't either, okay? But whatever it was, he prayed God would take it away from him, and God said, no. Now there's a guy again, he's raising people from the dead. He's casting out devils, he's seeing miracles, he's doing all kinds of stuff preaching the gospel, changing the world. But yet then he's got this affliction, whatever it might have been, and he prayed, God, remove this from me. And God said, no, my grace is enough. You'll be okay. Can you explain? I can't explain it all. I mean, and neither can you. And one thing, the reason I'm pointing this out, sometimes people get very arrogant in their faith and just tell everyone, well, if you just have enough faith, everything will be fine. Well, look, we teach faith. We believe God. Uh, God answers prayers. I've seen more miracles in my life than anybody else I know. But then there's other times where things don't go exactly the way you planned and there's some suffering involved. And Why is that? Why did God deliver from suffering here but not here? We don't know why. I don't know, neither do you, but it's not unusual to see it in the Scriptures, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the examples that I just gave to you. And here is Elisha now suffering from the illness. Suffering from illness. How can he be suffering from illness, this man of great miracle power? I don't know. Neither do you. But at the end of the day, how can you explain it? Um, sometimes you get sick. Sometimes you see miracles. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you struggle. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you have great stories. Just ask around at, at your campus. And you'll hear stories of people who they were sick and God healed them and turned things on. Other times, you'll hear about people who were struggling and they might still be struggling and God hasn't answered the prayer. Why not? Don't beat up on those people. Don't say, why well, you just don't have enough faith here? You're not spiritual enough. You know, hey, you don't know why. I don't know. I don't have all the answers. I'll tell you what. When we get to heaven, we'll figure it all, all out. I'm pretty sure the first thing that's going to come out of everybody's mouth when they get to heaven is, oh, oh, that's why. But until we get there, we're not going to know the, oh, that's why, in every situation. Uh, bottom line, nobody lives forever. Everybody dies. It's just a matter of when and how. Uh, I just found out, we just found out my dad uh, has terminal cancer, pancreatic cancer. We just found this out a few days ago. Uh, it's sad. It's very sad. He's 83 years of age. Um, they said because of numerous reasons, it's something they can't even treat. Uh, how are we handling it? Well, we're praying for him. We're praying that God will be with him and that when his time comes, he'll go quickly and, and, and easily and, and not suffer. That's our prayer for him. Um, some say, well, why aren't you praying and trusting God for a miracle? I don't know. There's times when you do that and then there's times that you don't. The miracle we're trusting for is that this will go quickly for him and that he will go without suffering that's our prayer and we're going to trust god that this will go quickly and easily for him look we all have to die people everybody 
has to die. Uh, it's always just a matter of when and how. We all pray that God will give us a long life and he will bless us. I pray God will bless me with a very long life. I hope I'm around for a long time to irritate you all. But uh, God's has the final, God has the final say in all of these things. So uh, anyway, if you remember my dad, pray for him and agree with us in prayer that uh, it will go easy for him. And whenever he, he's fine, some days kind of sick the next day, doesn't really know uh, <clears throat> from one day to the next. But we just pray he'll go quickly and painlessly in when it's the right time for him to go. Anyway, back to Elisha. He's now suffering from this illness of which he dies. And Joash, jo Jehoash, all these names are almost exactly the same. Get different names, you people. Jehoash, king of Israel, goes down to see him and weeps over him. Now, remember, this is Jehoash. He's not doing everything God told him to do. But a lot of these guys, you know, they, they were constantly, they had one foot in God and the other foot in sin. Sounds like a lot of people that I know. A lot of people that go to church. They have just enough of God in their lives to make them miserable, it seems like. You know, they serve God kind of, but not 100%. I'll serve Jesus this way, but no, I'm not going to quit screwing my boyfriend. I'm going to serve God this way, but I'm going to keep hating this person here. You know, they live in this split world, which I would think would just make them incomparably miserable. I mean, for the love of God, people, just get on the Lord's side, man. Get free. Get rid of that junk. Make a clean break. But a lot of these guys, they just kind of serve God, kind of serve God, and still, you know, not serving God in other areas of their life. And So he hears that Elisha, and he's kind of serving God, and so he goes there, and he weeps over him because he's sick, and he says, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. I don't know what that means, but it's the very phrase that Elisha cried out when Elijah was taken from him into heaven. So Elisha, in his sickness, says to the king, he says, get a bow and some arrows. So the king goes, gets him some bows and some arrows, and he says, take the bow in your hands. And, and uh, he said to the king of Israel, when he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And then he says, open the east window. And he opened it. Shoot, Elisha says. And he shot. Zing, arrow goes flying out the window. And then Elisha prophesies, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, this nation of Haziel that kept tormenting them. You will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. So he prophesies that at this battle that's coming, that you will be victorious. And then he says to him, take the arrows. And the king took the arrows. And Elisha told him, strike the ground. And he struck it. Three times, boom, 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 and he stopped. Then the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it, but now you will defeat it only three times. Now, I don't get this. I, there's so many strange things in the Old Testament, and this is another one of those strange things. He strikes it three times, and if he would have struck it five or six times, he would have completely destroyed this nation that was constantly tormenting him. And Elijah said, why didn't you strike it more times? I'd have been thinking, 
You should have told me to strike it more times. You know, if it had been me, honestly, I'd have done it once. He said, strike the ground. I'd have, boom. Now what? You know, and I'd only had one victory. I don't know why this is. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Maybe in the time and in the context, it would have made more sense. I don't know. I mean, I know those guys in the Old Testament, they do something more than once, then they'd get in trouble. Why did you do it? I just said do it one more time. It's like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm glad it wasn't me. That's all I know. I, it's the craziest thing. It's like the guy, you remember in the old, uh, when, when the, uh, uh, they were bringing the uh, Ark of the Covenant on, on a cart, and all of a sudden the cart hits uh, some rocks or something or a hole, and it looks like it's going to tumble, and one guy goes over to, to hold up the Ark, and God strikes him dead on the spot. Boom. Why? You're not supposed to reach out and just grab the ark. Okay. <laughs> Someone should have said that before. I did that. But anyway, so the guy dies. They didn't do it anymore after that, I'll tell you that. But, you know, you think, well, that was kind of harsh. How did he know you weren't supposed to? Wouldn't you have reached up and grabbed it if you would seen it looks like it's going to fall? But it was considered disrespectful because he had no business touching the ark. And I don't know. It was like, you get in trouble sometimes if they did, sometimes if they didn't. And I don't get it. All I know is the guy strikes the ground three times, and Elisha was so angry. Why didn't you hit it more? I'm thinking, well, can I hit it more now? Apparently he couldn't. I don't know. It's about the best analogy you can get out of this lesson here is the importance for us to have a zeal for God, have intensity for God. Uh, Elisha basically viewed it as he, he just did the minimum of what was required. When he said, strike the ground, he should have just kept going, boom, 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 until he told him to stop, you know. Maybe that was the implication in the wording. Maybe the way he actually said it, it implied hitting it more times. I don't know. Some Bible scholar might know. I don't know. Everybody, all the stuff I read, nobody really knows. They're all kind of guessing. Uh, I do know this, that one thing we are supposed to have, if you're going to take an analogy from this, and really the only one you can, is that we should keep spiritual fervor in serving God. We've been reading in Romans, the 12th chapter, uh, on Sunday mornings about what it means to be an ideal church. And one of the things it says is to keep your spiritual fervor up. Man, we need to keep our spiritual intensity up. Um, don't just la, 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 um, and not be more intense for the kingdom of God. It's something you have to watch out for. You have to remember this, people. Remember this phrase. It is the tendency of fire to go out. Okay? The tendency of fire is to eventually go out. You have to keep feeding because the fire keeps burning and you start, it runs out of fuel or air. It will go out. Our importance our, our, our calling in life is as the fire of God comes into us and we're burning for God, we have to be careful to keep feeding the fire. Make sure it gets the oxygen it needs, the energy it needs, the fuel that it needs. This is why it's so important to be uh, coming to church, getting involved in Bible study. Of course, I'm preaching to the choir here because you guys all come. If you look around you, you'll see most of the people are not here. Why? They don't have the fire of God in them like they should. It's just the reality of it. We don't hate them for it. We try to cajole them and encourage them and, 
And you should encourage one another. You got friends and stuff that come to church. They don't come to church uh, for Bible study. Encourage them. Bug them. Give them a hard time. Come on, man. You ought to come. You ought to come. The Bible says we're supposed to provoke one another to love and to good works. Not just provoke one another. We're good at that. But provoke each other in a positive way. And say, come on, man. Come to church. Get involved. Get in the word. I can only say so much from the pulpit. You really have much more power with your friends, the people you know that you come to church with, than I do. Because peer pressure, there's a negative peer pressure, but there's a positive peer pressure. Peer pressure is a powerful thing. And if you would start cajoling one another and encouraging one another and say, man, come on, let's go to Bible study. Let's get into the Word. Let's grow in our faith. Why? Because the tendency of fire is to go out. You got to keep feeding the fire. We got to keep our zeal up for God, our intensity up for God. If you think you're going to keep the fire of God burning in your heart and you quit going to church, it's going to keep burning? You think it's going to keep burning and you never pray? You think it's going to keep burning and, 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 you, and you never read the Bible? You never, you never uh, give time and energy towards spiritual things? You're fooling yourself. And it's easy to deceive ourselves to think that the fire of God's burning in us when it's not. Um, I'm going to jump to, to the book of Revelations uh, to finish this point out. Um, if you'll turn over there with me. Revelations, the second chapter. This is the last book of the Bible. This is when John has this vision of Jesus. And he starts showing him of all the things that are, going to kind of come, that are going to come in the last time, in the end days, and the whole thing of the Antichrist and the 666 and all the things that are, that are yet to come. Um, he had a vision of all these things. But before he gives him all of that, he tells him to write to these churches and... Um, encourage them or scold them some of it was a little bit of both and in chapter 2 we see Jesus speaking to John he says now to the angel of the church of Ephesus write this these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands he's talking about Jesus these are the words of Jesus uh, my words he says tell him this I know your deeds your hard work and your perseverance. So here's the positive side. They're working hard as believers. They're persevering in their faith. That's positive. I know you cannot tolerate wicked men. Boom, that's a positive. They don't tolerate. They don't put up with bad behavior in the church. Yes, it is a scriptural thing to confront negative behavior in churches. Where is the love? Where is the love? That is love. When you've got someone who's behaving very badly, you get in their face and you, you don't tolerate it. Uh, then they've tested those who claim to be apostles and are not. I'm a man of God. I think God told me. And they check it out and they, they found them to be false. That's a positive. You've persevered and have endured hardship in my name and have not grown weary. These guys, positive, 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 positive. They're doing so many good things. You would think, man, this church has it together. They've got it made. This is great. But Jesus goes on and he says this. Verse 4, he says, yet I hold this against you. What? 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 Man, we're working. We're persevering. We're not growing weary. We're not putting up with nonsense. We test whether or not people are really from God. What, what are we doing wrong? He says, this is what you're doing wrong. You have forsaken your first love. Whoa. Your first love. That love, that, that passion, that energy 
that zeal, that fire that burns in your soul when you first come to Christ in faith and you first start experiencing God and everything's so new and fresh and you've got this, this love, this intense love of God burning inside you. He says, guys, you've left it. You've left it. You're doing the right things. But where's that passion? Are you like the king who apparently he didn't have much passion? Is the only thing you can figure why he struck the ground three times instead of more? Boom, boom, boom. Are you a boom, boom, boom kind of Christian? Yeah, I do this, this, this. Yeah, I do that, that, that. Yeah, I'm a Christian. How can you tell? Because I do this, this, this. Are you like that king? Have you lost your passion? It's not enough just to bang, bang, bang. Well, I did this. Good. You're supposed to do this. You're supposed to do that. You got to deal with your kids, and you got to pay your bills, and, and you, gotta, you need to come to church, and, and you need to give an offerings, and, and all this stuff, and all that's good. But even bang, bang, bang is not enough. Where's your heart? Where's your passion? Where's your intensity for God? The thing that causes you to go bang, 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 bang. Where's that fire? He says, you've forgotten your first love. Now, we all understand this in a natural sense. You know, you've got that first buzz of love when you fall in love with your spouse and you just dream about them day and night. And, oh, and they get married and the honeymoon and then it starts to fizzle out. And hey, this is the challenge of being married for a long time in life. You have to continually rekindle that energy for each other. Oftentimes people have been married for a couple of years and go, I don't know, I guess I should get a divorce. I don't know, it's gone, the magic's gone. The thrill is gone, baby, the thrill is gone. It's time to move on. No, it's not time to move on, it's time to reignite the fire. This is what couples have to do. But this is not what we're talking about here. He's using the analogy. But we're talking about the same thing with God. That fire, that intensity, that passion, that love of, of God and connecting with God and knowing God. Whoa. Do you still have that? Or has your Christianity become a Bang, bang, bang. I do this. Well, I do that. Well, I do this. Well, it's good that you do those things. But where is your first love? Jesus says, remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place. You say, what's that mean, pastor? I don't know. I don't know what the lampstand is. Different theologians have different versions of what the lampstand is. I don't know what it is. All I know is I don't want it to happen to me. I don't know what my lampstand is, but Lord, don't take it. It's not good. Whatever it is, it isn't good. What's that mean? That means you need to repent or there's going to be some butt kicking coming. God, help me to have fire in my heart. Help me to be passionate about the things of God. Back 
to first, Second Kings 13, verse 18. Take the arrows, strike the ground. He strike it three times, stopped. The man of God was angry with him. He said, you should have struck it five or six more times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will only defeat him three times. Again, from this king's standpoint, did he really get it? Was it because he didn't have that passion? I don't know. Certainly that's our analogy for us to keep our passion for God. But Anyway, as he says, it will happen. He'll have this victory. He will defeat them three times, but they won't be done with them, and they'll keep tormenting Israel because of their sins. And verse 20, Elisha died and was buried. And we'll pick this up again next week, what happens after Elisha dies and what happens to these kings and eventually how the nation keeps going over the line so far. I mean, we're seeing, if you ever feel bad, like God can't forgive you because of your sins, man, read this. Watch how many times. No matter how nasty, how many times they came, and God would still forgive them, still forgive them, still forgive them, still forgive them. Trust me, God is patient with you. But you need to be careful because there can come a time when God will say enough is enough. And we will read that when finally God gets to the point where he cannot tolerate it anymore from Israel and the hammer comes down. So uh, we're going to pause and give you an opportunity uh, at your campuses to uh, discuss this with your campus pastor. Different questions. Get involved. Some of the things we're talking about. Ask tough questions. What do some of these things mean for you? How does it work and apply in your life? And we'll see you all again next week. Bye-bye.